And welcome to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited, where we'll cover one of the many reported cases of reincarnation, so we can bring the discussion out into the light about what happens to our souls after death. But before we go too much further, I'd like to thank Raphael Crux for allowing us to use his music from the freepd.com public domain music site. I would also like to thank Alexios Arctos for his amazing work, as he's been helping me with the editing and sound engineering for the podcast. You'll hear me explain later in an upcoming episode that this year has been a bit of a tough one for me, and I can't apologise enough for being tardy in getting episodes out. Alex has been amazing, and with his interstellar efforts, I'm hoping to see a marked turnaround in the coming weeks, and you may be happy to know that for the first time since I started it, I actually have a forward log of completed episodes that should see the content coming at you at a greatly increased rate. I'd like to say a huge thank you to my Patreon supporters for sticking with me through a very difficult time in my life. I have told you before that your support means a lot to me, but you really have shown your true colours by not giving up on me and by continuing to believe in the podcast. Thank you so much. But let's get into that long-awaited content. Today, we bring Jim Matlock in to discuss the fascinating subject of reincarnation and tribal cultures. One of the common questions we get is, where does reincarnation come from? Who first came up with the belief? Join me as we discuss the origins of reincarnation and delve into tribal beliefs around the world. Do they have the same experiences as described by the rest of the world? Let's join Jim to find out. Hello, Jim. Thanks for coming back and joining me again today. I'm really looking forward to today's session. It sounds like it's going to be a really good one. Well, I'm I'm sure it will be, Marilyn. We always have a good time with these. We certainly do. We certainly do. It's a really interesting topic that we want to cover today. We want to cover basically reincarnation in tribal groups. But before Mm. we get into that, you said something once to me that hit me right between the eyes because it's so obvious and I hadn't considered it. When we talk about reincarnation, reincarnation really goes back a long way. And I made the comment that we probably have memories of the dinosaurs and you said Mm. something different to that. Do you remember what you said? Well, I I probably pointed out that, well, you know, there weren't humans around when there were dinosaurs around. So we would more likely have been an animal that was around then, one of the early mammals, little creatures, you know, from which, you know, human beings ultimately evolved. Because I believe that reincarnation has been around as long as life has been. That's my feeling. Because people ask sometimes, where does reincarnation come from when we get started? I don't believe that God gave us life, right? I mean, God may have given us life, but I mean, you know, God didn't create humans is what I'm trying to say. And so I don't believe that reincarnation started with humans, right? And so when did it start? And that's why it seems to me logical that the reincarnation started when life started. As soon as there was death, there was reincarnation of the consciousness stream, which is what we call reincarnation, you know, when that consciousness stream goes from one body to another body. And in that case, all forms of life reincarnate, right? You know, and that means the dinosaurs reincarnated. That means all of the other animals around, mammals included, during that time would have reincarnated. And so on, up through the evolutionary line leading ultimately to us. Yeah, and that was a really interesting thing that I hadn't made that connection. I mean, like a lot of people, because we sort of hear more about reincarnation sort of appearing in Asia and in and mm. as part of the Buddhist and Hindu teachings and things. But in actual fact, it's mm. been around for a long time. And this is what brings me to the tribal cultures. It's because right. they are probably the purest version of reincarnation memory in a way, because they were the least tainted by sort of Western civilization and, and all of the things that have overlaid being human. Yeah. Would you say that's it- a fair thing? 
Yes, I, I think so. You know, they were in Africa, they were in North America before when missionaries first arrived, you know, when Europeans first arrived. So we know they're older than European cultures. They were also in Asia when uh, European cultures arrived, you know, when the Aryans arrived from Europe, from Siberia, wherever they came from. They encountered these things in India. The tribal peoples in India already had reincarnation beliefs. And so the Hindus picked them up. And then the Hindus developed the idea of karma because the indigenous societies don't have the idea of karma in the same way. They don't have it really at all. And so karma was an idea that was introduced in India. And then, you know, and so from there became uh, associated with reincarnation. But I, it doesn't seem to have been originally. So in a way, it's yeah. kind of a definitely a man-made concept in a, in a sense, perhaps. Karma is. Now, the reincarnation idea is not, though, and that's why it's important to separate them. What we see when we look at these indigenous cultures, I mean, and, and all around the world, everywhere we look at them, we should say that I'm an anthropologist by training. And so actually, before my doctorate, my, my, my master's thesis, my master's work, I was already interested in this, in reincarnation, you know, and so I did my master's thesis in a cross-cultural study, looking at reincarnation beliefs around the world, because I wanted to get a better sense of them. And I found to my surprise, there are actually reincarnation beliefs in half or over half, depending on how you define reincarnation, of the tribal societies, or mm -hmm. they were there when contact was first made with them, and they were first described by anthropologists. The other thing I found, and this is what was really, really fascinating for me, what jumped out at me was that the very same signs that Ian Stevenson and others had been studying as evidence of reincarnation were mentioned again and again and again in relation to the beliefs in reincarnation in these tribal societies. And so it became very clear to me that it is the observation of the beliefs, that is, I mean, observation of things like birthmarks, of dreams that we call now announcing dreams, of behaviors, of children who have past life memories. That is where the idea of reincarnation originally came from. It wasn't something that somebody just thought up because it seemed logical. It was an observation, you know, an empirical observation, a scientific observation, if you will. And that to me is it's very, not only very interesting, but very important. Because what it implies is that the belief of information, reincarnation could be very, very old indeed. It could go back to the very origins of human society. And that, that's entirely consistent with what I was saying earlier, right? That this is a very old belief and it's been with us as long as life has been with us. I find it interesting, too, because it, they used an empirical approach rather than it didn't come from any kind of religious belief or any right. spiritual belief. It seems to have been more right. observing things and going, oh, well, that must be how it is then. That's right. And for them, it's more, you know, it's a fact of psychology, of biology. It's not a religious thing at all. So when Westerners first went to America among the American Indians, they initially didn't recognize reincarnation, but it was there, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I, it definitely was there. And some did. Because one of the, one of the things that I did was a, uh, this is for a book actually called Amerindian Rebirth. Along with Antonia Mills, uh, one of the co-authors of that book, I put together a trait list of American Indian reincarnation beliefs. And so for that, we looked up every single reference that we could find to North American reincarnation. So I have a pretty good understanding of where you find it and where you don't, you know. And so it's interesting. Some of the first missionaries did notice it. Some of the first colonists did notice it. But for a long time, for a couple of centuries there, a couple, a couple hundred years, there were very few mentions of it. Some people noticed it, but many people just overlooked it for whatever reason. 
because there were contacts during this period, right? But they just weren't paying attention to it. On the other hand, once anthropologists did start paying attention, we found it all over the place. And so it seems very clear that it's always was there. It's just people didn't notice it. Well, I suppose when we think back to the original settlers, the white settlers of America, it was more that they were focused on colonisation and perhaps the same as we unfortunately did, trying to impose our views on, on the native culture rather than actually looking at the native culture. Yes. I mean, you know, I think this happened everywhere that Europeans went. Yeah, it was unfortunately a bit of a standard thing, wasn't it? Thankfully, we've changed that, or at least we're starting to, I think. So with regards to the tribes and their views about reincarnation, do tribal people believe that they reincarnate outside the tribe or do they feel that they're, it's encompassed in, only in that group? That's a really, really interesting issue. Yeah, I, generally they believe that you reincarnate inside the group. And not only that, when the group has internal social organizations like clans, you reincarnate in the clan. So it's sort of a subgroup almost of a group. Yeah. And you find this not only in North America, you also find it in Africa and in other, you know, in other places as well, that uh, there's reincarnation within the group. In North America, particularly as time went on, and it varies, some groups continued to remain endogenous, shall we say, like that, where reincarnation was within it. Others had a little bit more contact, maybe, I don't know because they all ultimately had a lot of contact. You began to see reincarnations of whites into the Indian culture. And so in some of them, you have memories of having been, you know, a traitor or somebody else who died. Typically, somebody who died, you know, in the territory or close by, being reborn there. That's interesting, isn't it? Because in life as it is, we, we often sort of look at other cultures and sometimes you think, oh God, I wish I'd been born there. I mean, for me, I have a very strong connection to the Scots and I often think I wish mm. I'd been born Scottish. So <laughs> I wonder if that's why whites ended up sort of becoming involved in the culture because they, was, they became connected to the people, formed friendships and started to realise it was a right. lifestyle they liked. Well, that's possible. Yeah. Mm. I mean, and, and we see the same thing happening in other places, too, with what we call international cases, which is, you know, like Brits who spent time in India, being reincarnated in India, that type of thing. You mentioned actually just briefly that the reincarnation beliefs in tribal societies, although they can be quite different, there are some really key things that are actually very similar to our beliefs, aren't there? Things like announcing dreams and birthmarks. Oh. and Yeah, I mean, you know, see, these are the types of signs that we see all over the world. These are the types of signs that Ian Stevenson studied as evidence of reincarnation. And my whole, my term signs of reincarnation, which I use so much, right, in my book and my Facebook group and my course, signs of reincarnation. These are the signs of reincarnation uh, that we see over and over again. The birthmarks which commemorate, you know, wounds, fatal wounds or other scars, and then surgical scars. And we can get into that. There's some interesting uh, North American cases of surgical scars turning into birthmarks. So birthmarks, announcing dreams, announcing dreams are dreams. Usually it's a pregnant woman, but it could be also her husband. It could be somebody close to her. Has either in some cultures before she gets pregnant, but in Native American cultures, it's typically while she's pregnant, just before she gives birth, you know, of a spirit person letting her know that uh, they plan to become their her child they reincarnated with them and then after the baby is born there may be they may have behaviors they may you know show emotions personality 
other other traits that remind the person of a particular deceased individual. And the basis of that, even before the children begin to talk, and they don't always talk and have memories, but sometimes they do. But even when they don't, these types of signs allow for the identification of, uh, of the child. That's quite an interesting point, isn't it? That they can actually recognize because they are such a close-knit and smaller community that they can often actually recognize signs and traits of another person who've lived before, even if the child doesn't have those memories. That's quite interesting and it's quite compelling to me because people say, well, why don't everybody have reincarnation memories? Why is only a few? We do, I think, all have memories, but we just don't remember them. Well, yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, that's my feeling too. That buried in our subconscious, we all have memories. And just with some of us, they, they rise into the surface of our consciousness. But probably they affect us anyway. I mean, they affect us in behaviorally, even if we're not aware of it. But your point, I, I think, is exactly right. With these smaller scale societies, and particularly the habit of reincarnating back in the family line, it means that it's easier to recognize people. If you come back in the next generation or uh, not too long in the past, particularly if it's expected that somebody's going to come back, you'll be looking for those things. You'll recognize them much more easily than, say, if it's a stranger case, right? Where you have no idea who's being talked about. And I think two tribal people are, are more attached to the normal sort of natural life cycles of life than people who are yeah. living in a distracting society like we live in. So we don't notice it as much. We're not as in tune with it, perhaps. Yes. And I think it's very important. And in these native societies, and this is true, not just in North America, it's all over the world. Animals also are recognized as reincarnating. They are reincarnated in their own species lines. Antonia Mills, for her dissertation study, she compared 10 different, there's also a cross-culture study, she compared 10 different Native American cultures, and she found in every one of them, there was this belief that animals reincarnated in their own species lines. I mean, these are hunters, right? So they were very much in tune with animals, and this is what they noticed. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you did mention on your Science Encyclopedia site that while some of the other beliefs might sort of wander in and out and there might be sort of versions of what we believe and they believe, the one standard was that, wasn't it? The ones who were pretty much all of the tribal beliefs believe that animals reincarnate back into their same species. Yeah, but another thing is interesting, and this is a good point to bring this in, in the Indian or Indic beliefs, I like the term Indic because Buddhism is no longer so much associated with India, but it started there. And so by saying Indic, we can include Buddhism as well as Hinduism, Jainism, and the other. In Indic beliefs, you have this idea, and my term for it is metempsychosis, I just, I just, so that I can have a term that that means not just human to human reincarnation, but human to animal back to human. And that's what I call metempsychosis, as opposed to transmigration, which is just human to animal. And what you find in indigenous societies is not metempsychosis, except for some in India where you don't know which came first, really. You don't find metempsychosis anywhere. You do find transmigration, though. You do find the idea that humans can go to animals but not the idea that then, then animals, then they come back to humans. But this is something I looked at because I began to notice that, yeah, in some societies you find transmigration beliefs. And in other societies you find reincarnation beliefs that is human to human, but they're not always together in the same society. So it's like they're different beliefs, right? And I think the reason for that is 
And this is actually another very interesting topic. We do tend to ramble in these conversations, don't we? I think that is because if you reincarnate back as a human, particularly if you do it in the family line, it's very easy then to inherit the things that you had before, right? You can get your name back. And this is common throughout the world to give the name, the same name again. So you get your name back. In a lot of these societies, and this is true particularly of, of North America, the names are associated with different kinds of property. That can be real property, it can, it can be prerogatives, it can be status, it can be different things like that. So if you have a certain name, you stand to move up as you, as you age, as you mature into certain positions, right? And so being given the same name allows you to inherit all of this stuff, right? And your new life. And I think this is why we find reincarnation, particularly within clans and in family lines like that, because it is tied to inheritance in that way. I mean, and this is something that's completely, I mean, we, you know, we were completely lost anything like that in our societies. But in the tribal societies, it really makes a lot of sense that reincarnation is related to inheritance in this way. I think you wrote on Science Encyclopedia that even if the, say, the child doesn't have any memories, a shaman may actually, or a holy person or something, may go, I recognize you as being that person. So you then inherit the rights of that person kind of thing almost, even though they've not demonstrated because they can see the pattern. They can see what you are exactly that person because you behave the same. You know, that's again, we see it all over the world in Africa too. In a lot of those societies, they don't have shamans per se, but they have other practitioners, diviners or oracles, they're often called psychics. I mean, and it comes down to the same thing. It's sort of a psychic ability, I think, to key into the subconscious of the person, but at any rate, to identify that person. You find this also in Tibet. The Dalai Lama has a story uh, in, what, in his, one of his autobiographies about a case like this in his family. One of his brothers died. And an oracle there told the family to expect him. Well, we'll come back to that in maybe a, another session because that gets into, they also had him, the, the parents make a mark on the baby's body. And, and so he was recognized by that mark. We'll get into that another time. To go back to kind of what the tribal belief is with regards to soul, with some of the Amerindian tribes, they believe actually that inanimate objects can also have souls, like rocks and things like that. They yeah. don't. Do they believe that you can actually reincarnate into the soul of a rock? No, because you have the, because it's a, by and large, it's human to human. Even those societies that you have the transmigration beliefs, it's into an animal's body. I've never seen reincarnation into a, a rock or a tree or something. But you're quite right. In the animistic belief system of which, you know, this is a part, all of nature is considered to be alive, to have be imbued with spirit. And our modern philosophies are coming back to this idea that maybe there's consciousness in everything, right? That's something that indigenous societies were into a long, long time ago. Well, actually, yeah, that's an interesting point because one of the other things that can be found in tribal beliefs is that the soul can split and exist in sort of two places. So did yeah. you feel that you can sort of exist in several places, but also several forms? So is it, do they feel that you could be a man, but also a part of you was also reincarnated in something connected to the, the culture, like a totem or, or a whatever? I've never seen that. Even in Australia, I've never seen that. You do, in some society, in some of these animistic tribal cultures, you do find the idea that the soul can um, splinter after death or the spirit can. Or perhaps, you know, in some places, it's more like not splintering so much as replicating. 
But anyway, the effect is the same, that you have multiple copies of it. But, but that's not everywhere. That's just certain places. But, but that's coming back into multiple human bodies. I've never seen the idea that it can be a human and be some other entity. When you do split, that you actually become virtually two people. The souls could split and go into, say, two different babies, for example. Is that what you mean? You know, Antonia Mills has studied some of these in, in British Columbia. She'll have, she'll have some information on this in, in a book that she's working on now, in case examples of it. But her feeling is that up there, it's not so much that the soul is splitting as it is that it's replicating. And then that's a slightly different idea, right? I mean, the end result may be the same, but it's not exactly the same thing from a logical point of view. So I think we need to be a little bit careful about that. I mean, the idea of splitting, I, that may be just the way that, you know, anthropologists or missionaries or whoever it was who wrote about travelers, who wrote about these beliefs, that's how they understood it. But that may not be the indigenous understanding. Because you find these also, this sort of thing also in Tibet. In Tibet, it's not so much the idea of splitting, it's the idea of, of there being different facets of the soul or the spirit that can go different directions. So it's not like the whole, you know, if a person is being reincarnated in multiple bodies, it's more like, you know, different parts of it are. That's how they see it. That's how you find it in Africa too, more often, different parts of it. Whereas in North America, it's the whole person. But on the other hand, when you actually look at these cases, the cases that Tony Mills has, they don't show that. They don't show the whole person. And they never show, none of these cases anywhere in the world, have people having memories of being, multiple people having memories of being the same person. They're all based on different things, similar birthmarks, or there's a birthmark and then there's an announcing dream or something like that. So it's different signs that all point back to the same person. But it's not as if, you know, several people have the memories of being the same person. And that may be an important clue. We may be looking at something less than a full reincarnation is what I'm trying to point out. But we don't find these everywhere, these sorts of beliefs, these multiple reincarnation beliefs, just in certain areas. That's a common a question that comes up frequently in the forum, as we both know, that people are yeah. often asking, you know, can people inhabit two souls or is that why people remember being, two people might remember being the same life and things like that. I mean, and I've, seen, I've seen a draft of this chapter. I mean, there are some interesting things that are intriguing to provide food for thought, like unusual eye colors. You know, in indigenous, in North American indigenous cultures, it's usually brown eyes. If you find, you know, green eyes or blue eyes, which you would not expect there, right? Being in one person who's died and then showing up in several children, right? Unrelated to her. You know, it becomes kind of interesting, right? But I don't know whether you want to base, you know, I think it may be going too far to use that as evidence of reincarnating multiply. So there's a lot of room there in these, these cases, all the beliefs are there. When you look at the cases, there's a lot of room there for social construction. And so I'm not convinced yet. No, it, it's another physical you know, sign, right? Some cultures too, they have a, a belief in, and this is another thing that's often asked in the forum, human to human rebirth for those who die young or violently. Do they believe that if someone dies, say, as a teenager, they're going to come back almost straight away? Is that what they mean by that? Or do they mean that they won't sort of transmute across to an animal, they'll come back as, as another human? It varies by the beliefs, the details of the beliefs vary by culture in North America. In some societies, they only allow reincarnation for people who die violent or people who die young. 
I mean, their belief is that, that, that people only of this class will. Uh, and in other societies, everybody does. When we enlarge it from the beliefs to actually looking at the cases worldwide, we do in fact see that those who die violently and those who die young, particularly likely to have their memories to have their lives remembered, right? You know, and so we need to be a little bit careful with this because it seems likely that many more people are reincarnated, perhaps all of us are. We just don't all remember it, right? So, but when we're talking about the memories, who has the memories, right? We see that children who die young and children who die violently are particularly likely then to reincarnate in such a way that they have memories. And that could be where this idea came from, right? We see that today data. And it seems quite possible that that's always been in the data, right? And so, you know, because they saw this repeatedly, they, that's how they reached that conclusion. As we both said earlier in this episode, um, we both believe that we probably do. In fact, I personally think everybody reincarnates because it doesn't yeah. make sense why some would and some wouldn't. I agree. Yeah. Uh, and I just think it seems to be we've noticed in current cases that we even people we know that if you have a trauma, then it seems to be that that's what sparks the memory. So I think we've discussed before, we both feel it might be a form of almost uh, PTSD or something like that that creates the memory. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, in many cases it does. It doesn't. That doesn't take care of all cases because there are cases of, of memories of you know of natural deaths. But you know, by and large, I mean you know, but but a violent death or something like that's going to be more memorable, right? With the African tribes, they often have sort of different viewpoints. I love some of the uh, the things, uh, some of the cultures in the African tribes, the things they do. African tribes uh, often have interesting ways of trying to control where a person will reincarnate, don't they? Like they might bury a person in the house compound to try and encourage them uh, to return. Yeah, and that's, you know, you find that in North America too. You find that in a lot of places all around the world. I call that sort of a house and yard, you know, burial in the house floor. I mean, we're talking about, you know, these old houses, you had earthen floors, right? Bury them in the floor or bury them in the house compound or bury them by a path. Now, one of the, uh, in the village, now one of the interesting things that's associated with that is that the same technique can also be used to deter someone from coming back. One of the things that they'll do is if they don't want somebody coming back, they'll bury them face down by a crossroad, anything that they can do to sort of confuse the spirit and let the spirit know we don't want you to come back to us. The idea being that a crossroads is going to be confusing to them or face down, it's going to be confusing or whatever. That's just one of the social practices. This is part of what I looked at in my thesis, not just where the beliefs were, but the social practices associated with them. Anthropologists all working all around the world had noticed a lot of different kinds of practices like this. They were associated to reincarnation and they had sort of generalized from that and said, ah, you know, the society I'm working with, this must be a general thing. And I wanted to find out whether it was a general thing or not. So I took all of these things that had been suggested and, you know, and looked at them because the house and yard burial is something that we found, we find everywhere. And unfortunately, you know, although it's, it makes a lot of sense why you would bury a child in the house floor to facilitate them coming back, I did not find that statistically related to reincarnation beliefs. And I don't know why that is. I mean, maybe in the, the beliefs have been lost in some of these places. I don't know. But that, that's one that I did not find statistical significance on. I was really disappointed to find that because I thought, well, you know, if I can show significance on this, this is something that can be used in archaeology, right? 
because in archaeology also, they notice these subfloor burials a lot. This would be an interesting way of being able to infer a reincarnation belief. But when I didn't find that association statistically, I couldn't make that argument. We've discussed before, and I think we were aware in the literature that there's a lot of thing about choice of where people come back. Like the kids often say, I chose this parent. So I suppose it's right. something that might, while we might desire it, we, it doesn't still necessarily control what a consciousness will do on the other side. Well, that's right. So just to touch on it, because we may end up doing an episode about this, but African tribes also engage in cadaver marking, don't they, where they try and place a mark on the body after the person has died. Is that right? Well, some do. I mean, there are examples of that. This is the experimental birthmark, what we call that, the cadaver marking resulting in birthmarks. Uh, did I mention the connection with the Dalai Lama or his family? Let's leave that for another time because it's such a it's, it's such a big issue. You find it particularly in East Asia. But yes, you're right. And it's some in Africa too. But what we find more in Africa is something which is a little bit different. And that is the belief that if children die in infancy, if several children in a row die in infancy, right, it's the same child coming back again and again and again. And it may be. That's one of the patterns that we see in the, uh, the cases that we've studied, the cases of verified past life memories that we see is that when children die young, they often do come back to the same parents. So it's very possible, you know, if a child dies in infancy and but it comes back again. But in West Africa, throughout West Africa, you find the belief that when there are a series of deaths in infancy, that it's the same child, not only is it the same child, but the child is doing that deliberately to torment the parents. And they've built up this idea, there's, there's a whole a belief system that goes along with this, that they're part of a spirit band, which has as its purpose tormenting the parents. And so they, they'll come back to the parents and they'll leave them. And the way to keep this from happening, because the spirit band, they're a vain bunch, right? And they want everything to be perfect. So the way to keep this from happening is to damage the child's body somehow. They don't do this to a living body, but after the child is dead, so the cadaver again, they will mark in some way. In different societies, it's a different part of the body that's marked. In Nigeria, among the Igbo, it's often a little, they'll take off a, a segment of a finger, for instance. In Senegal, you know, further to the west, uh, they'll clip an ear. So it varies from one culture to another. But this idea that the way to keep this from happening is to mark the body in some way, right? that children get born with these birth defects matching this. And so Igbo children are born with a segment of the finger missing, or Sarah children from Senegal are born with these nicked ears. Instead of experimental birthmarks, I call these experimental birth defects. That's very West African. You don't find that throughout Africa, and you don't find it elsewhere in the world. It's specifically West African. There have been attempts to relate this to, say, sickle cell disease. Well, they've looked at that, and it doesn't. there's no connection there at all. It's completely different. And then, and I wish there were more data about this, but at least in some cases, the children who come back with these birth defects live. They don't then die in infancy. So you can see how maybe the belief developed, right? So that they create these birth defects and then the children live. So that leads to the idea, well, that these children who don't want to come back, they must be part of this band who wants everything to be perfect, right? And if you make it less, if you make the bodies less than perfect, then they'll, then they'll go and stay. Uh, and they do. You know, that really needs to be studied better. But unfortunately, it's one of those practices that's sort of dying out. You don't hear it much anymore. And so maybe too late to really study it and look at it. But we do have these cases of people who have lived well beyond infancy, 
you know, or maybe had normal lifespans for all we know, that have these nicks. So in, the, in those cases, it works. Whether it works in all cases, we simply don't know. You think, okay, well, if someone nicks their ear, it's just a birth defect, right? But it's amazing how many times it actually does relate to the damage done to the cadaver because on your site, encyclopedia site, you were saying that there were cases of people who like chopped off a part of hands or fingers or toes or whatever, and that child would come back with not properly formed fingers or, you know what I mean? They do seem to relate, don't they? It's not just a random thing of, oh, I nick the ear. Well, next time the baby comes back with stuffed fingers, it actually does relate, doesn't it, to the damage that was done to the cadaver? Well, it does. And it doesn't have to be just the cadaver. And it doesn't have to be delivered either. In most of these cases of, you know, birth defects like this, these are accidental things. Like there's a, a boy in the country now, they get the country, Asian country. I stuck his hand, toddler stuck his hand in a fodder chopping machine and chopped his fingers off. He didn't die from that, but he died, you know, a few years later. And then a child who, you know, was recognized as reincarnation was born with the same fingers missing, that type of thing. And actually, I, I can bring this back to North America because there is a, a Clinket. I'll mention a Haida tribal case first and then a Clinket one, where a man was in a boat and he was reaching for his gun because he wanted to shoot a mink. He was reaching for the gun and they accidentally discharged and blew off his finger instead. Uh, he started bleeding profusely. And his, uh, his brother-in-law friend who was with him, he may have shot himself in the wrist, actually. Um, and so it was, it was worse bleeding than, than you would get just from the finger. And tied a tourniquet in his arm. Uh, but he didn't realize, he didn't understand that you had to loosen the tourniquet every once in a while. And they were on the river or on the ocean. And it, so it took 10 hours to get to the nearest hospital. And by that point, his arm had become gangrenous. He had lost consciousness and so forth. And he eventually died from that. Uh, because his arm had to be amputated and the stump became infected and he just didn't make it. Then you have a child born with, in this case it was birthmarks, but also with, uh, in his wrist, front and back of his wrist, where guy had shot himself in the previous life. Then there's another Haida case where another fisherman was tired of that life and he didn't want to have to come back and have such a difficult life again. So he arranged somehow to be born without part of his arm. Now, this wasn't an injury before death. This was an injury that he caused himself, apparently, so that he wouldn't have to uh, throw out nets or do other strenuous things as a fisherman. And he became a clerk in an office and was quite happy when Stevenson met him as a citizen person. There are a variety of these cases of birth defects related to things that happen. It can be accidents that happen to the body, you know, and it doesn't need to be cadaver marking that show up on the next slide. Yeah, you raised something on Science Encyclopedia that I can't get my head around. So I actually would like to talk about it. And that is that in some groups with unilineal social organizations, so in other words, where kinship is only recognized through either the mother or the father, but not together, reincarnation mm -hmm. follows a similar pattern so right. what exactly does that mean does that mean if you have like a matriarchal society or is it different to that i couldn't quite no no in uh like the clinket um, indians in the Haida, also in british in alaska and british columbia they're matrilineal that is they trace their descent to the mother right. not to both yeah. parents like we have a bilateral we, this is our the anthropological term for it, where we trace kinship to both of our parents right we don't really make a distinction but for the clinket, it's they're matrilineal. And so it's the mother's line, which is important for your kinship. And reincarnation also follows the maternal line. But that's consistent with the clan structure, right? Because the clans are matrilineal. And so coming back in the same clan means you're coming back. 
where this is interesting is that in patrilineal societies, it's the opposite. Like the Igbo in Niger Nigeria, they're patrilineal. And so they trace descent through the father. And they have clans which are patrilineal and the reincarnation is in the father's line. But when you think about the actually the Western cases too, often the children will describe coming back to be with that mother, not necessarily right. that couple. It's interesting, isn't it? Even in our society, the, the children seem to choose one parent or the other, not necessarily. Not necessarily both. My daughter, when she was three, said that she chose us both. The first thing she said, in fact, was we were driving and there was a motorcycle. Uh, we stopped at a light, traffic light, and there was a motorcycle ahead of us. And she asked me, did I like to ride on motorcycles? And I, they, I don't. They scare me. I do not like to be on you know, I said, no, honey, they scare me. And she said, you have to hold on real tight. She's like three. Child's saying that, you know, with total conviction, right? Like she knew what she was talking about. And I said, well, honey, when have you been on a motorcycle? And she said, it was a long time ago before I came to you and mommy. And then she went on and said, I saw you and mommy were looking for a baby. So I came to you. Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't it? That is so Isn't beautiful. It? Yeah. So, but, but there again, it's, it's both of us, right? She came to both of us. Very often it is just the mother, but it can also be the father. There are cases in which, and now we're really getting off this now, but there are cases in which children say that they followed the father. Uh, for some reason, they chose the father. When the father had a child, then they became you know, his child. But most often it is the mother. But in these tribal cases, it is so striking that in uh, matrilineal societies that you find the reincarnation in the, in the mother's line and patrilineal societies, you find the father's line, that it really does suggest the very same thing, that we do choose our parent, that they deliberately are going back where they're expected to go. When you look at what diverse lives we lead, like we are so disconnected and so different from a, a tribal life, yet both sides still share the same things. To me, that's fascinating because that to me proves that it's not something that is affected by our cultures or what we've been brought up to believe or what we've learned. It's actually connected to the way it is sort of thing. That's right, to being human. Yeah. I've only got one last question, actually, and that is you also wrote about repeater children on Science Encyclopedia, and I hadn't heard of that before. What's a repeater child? That's the term for what we're talking about in Africa, where the children come back repeatedly. I think we've actually sort of covered most of the things. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? Well, we didn't give very many case examples. I think I do want to get this in when we're talking about birthmarks, because this is a good example to show that birthmarks are not just to reflect wounds. There is a Clinkett Indian case where they reflected surgical scars. And it actually shows something else too. And that is in tribal societies more than elsewhere, you actually get uh, very often planned rebirths. So say before they die, where they plan to come back. And this man, he wasn't sure, but if there was something to reincarnation, he would come back to, I don't remember now, I mean, his niece or something, and said, you'll know me by these marks. You know, he had it on his back, he had a surgical scar, and then he had another scar as well, and you'll know me by these marks. The next bit, child born to this woman had these marks. So there again, we find the planned rebirth, we find apparently the intentional making of the, of the marks, and we find the marks are not being uh, related to fatal wounds, but to another sort of mark. What that tells me is that the birthmarks can be really anything of emotional significance to the previous person. Another thing we find a lot is earring birthmarks. In North American tribal societies, it's the, the men often who wear earrings. It's a sign of high status usually. The chiefs have their ears pierced and they wear earrings. So when babies are born with these earring birthmarks, it's a sign that a chief has come back. 
there is this significance that's given to the earring and therefore it's the birthmark. And so the deceased has a certain motive to reproduce that. And so it's really anything that is of significance, emotional significance to a person that can be reproduced. What that says to me is that the production of these birthmarks and also the birth defects is psychogenic. It's the mind that's doing it, right? And that's why the fisherman could decide what he didn't want his arm and why other kinds of things show up as birthmarks or birth defects, because they have this significance to the person. I think that's what's going on here. And, and not that, that we have an astral body or something like that, you know, that's carrying these marks forward. I think it's the mind that does it. Well, that actually fits in with the Western viewpoint of it, isn't it? Because really our birthmarks and things, marks that appear on Western children are usually caused from trauma or damage or whatever to, or something that relates to the emotion from that past life. So that proves that it's not just, as you say, something that people are kind of almost talking themselves into. They have exactly the same thing of problem, the PTSD almost that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we talked about tribal societies today because I really do think that they're very important and they're something that are going to disappear probably sooner rather than later because unfortunately life has changed so much that it's really hard to maintain those old traditional structures of life in a way. Are there many tribal societies left that are unaffected by white settlement? Because basically it's white settlement that usually sticks a spanner in the works. Fewer and fewer. We know that there are a few in South America in the jungle, Amazonian jungle, that haven't been contacted. This Japan also. We just stay away. I mean, the, the, the policies are just to stay away from these people as much as we can. So we know that there are few, but there are not many. Uh, there are not many left. And unfortunately, in, in most of the world, now into several hundred years of contact. And so even if they've managed to retain some part of their cultures, those, those cultures have been very badly affected by contact with Europeans, typically Europeans. Do you know, have any studies been done on societies that have had contacts with whites to see if their reincarnation beliefs have changed? I can't think of a study that's looked at that, you know, in any sort of systematic way. But certainly that's something that comes up in ethnographies, that is the books that anthropologists write. I mean, they'll talk about this, yes. We know that these, you know, I would say more than them being changed. Well, it's the missionaries, you know, that'll do it, right? The missionaries make them go away. The missionaries teach them that this is all wrong. And so gradually these things are lost. But on the other hand, in some societies, they are so strong, they continue. I mean, and this is what it's happened in the Middle East with the Druze, but the Druze are a relatively recent sect, 13th century. So they're, they're not necessarily the best example of a Shia Islamic sect, but some of them go back a very long way to pre-Islamic times. And it looks like the beliefs were there before Islam reached them. And they just, they were so strong, seemingly because of these cases recurring very often there. The cases, coming back to our original thing about the signs being what suggested the belief, it also is what supports the belief, right, over time. And so as long as the signs continue there, the beliefs do continue and can continue to be present in the society, even though you have the dominant surrounding culture and the missionaries and so forth telling them, no, this, this can't be. I was wondering if their reincarnation beliefs had kind of altered to more match our own or whether they stayed true to their own form. In North America, you find that sometimes, unfortunately, that some of the younger native peoples have been picked up new age concepts and things. They don't know so much about their traditional beliefs. Sometimes they're not even aware of them. 
And Stevenson accounted this even in the 60s when he first went to the Klinkat. Some of the younger people had heard of reincarnation among the Hindus or and so forth, but not even not aware of it among their own people. And so that's sort of sad. You know, I, I guess it's to be expected also. It's a complex sort of thing and it's hard to generalize from this. But yeah, you do find those things too. What would you say as a final thing, Jim, then before we sign off, what would you say is one of your favorite cases from the tribal accounts? Do you have one? Do you have an absolute favorite that you would like to relate? I think maybe my favorite would be the, one of the ones that I, the, the one that I, uh, that I mentioned there of the surgical scar showing up as a birthmark because it, it was perfectly like a surgical scar, including the stitch marks around the rectangular. So it's a rectangular birthmark surrounded by these, you know, these little, little marks, dots. right? <laughs> these little dots, right? A birthmark, if you can imagine it, looking exactly like a surgical scar. He also, the guy when he died, besides saying that, he also left a gold watch and said, keep this for me, I'm going to come back. And as a child, when he saw his mother, the person he, you know, that he came back to, put it in her jewelry box. And when he saw her take it out of the jewelry box, once he recognized it as his watch, I wanted to keep it. And it's just really remarkable things. Yeah, I like that case because it, ha- it has these, you know, it has both the, the surgical scar birthmark, which is really extraordinary, and then the recognition of the watch. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? And something that the watch was something that he wouldn't have probably seen before because it was something that was just kept away in a box, wasn't it? That's right, exactly. He yeah. had not seen it before. It was the first time he saw it. Well, thanks so much, Jim. This has been, as usual, it's been incredible. It's been wonderful to talk to you today about this. I've wanted to talk about it for a little while, so I really appreciate you and all your knowledge that you've got coming and talking about it. Well, absolutely. I enjoy talking to you too. These are always, we always go on and on and on, but there's so much more to say. So I look forward to talking to you again. Oh, don't worry. We'll certainly be rinsing and repeating because I really love doing this. So yeah, definitely. We'll we'll catch up again soon. I don't know what the next one will be, but we'll work it out from there and we'll certainly think of something. All right. Well, wonderful, Marilyn. Let me know. We'll work it out. All right. Thanks very much, Jim. Yeah, you're very well. Bye. And so we say farewell to Jim and we'd like to thank you for listening to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We hope you enjoyed this case. If you have any interesting stories about reincarnation or if you can relate your own past life experiences, I'd love to hear about them and I can be contacted through my email at reincarnationplr at gmail.com or via my Facebook page called Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. If you'd like to support me, I'd be honoured if you'd become a Patreon supporter. I don't do extra content, but your support helps me to keep the wheels on the reincarnation wagon and allows me to use such useful supports as Alex to keep the content coming to you. His help allows me to keep on doing what I hope you love hearing. We'll be back again soon with another episode, but until then, remember you are unique and your life has a purpose.